This is Dave Broadbeck uh, here talking to you, and as I guess you'd imagine, considering the name of the podcast. And uh, the lecture you're about to hear is from the fall term in 2018 from Algoma University. It is Biology uh, and also Psychology 2606, Brain and Behavior. Hope you enjoy it. I don't want to move. I'll just sit here in my living room and see what's on the tube. While I'm okay, so I just want to go over this slide again because I went over it pretty quickly, and this is... These things that I list here, principles of nervous system organization, are kind of important as far as they can be really good kind of study guides for the first test. So there's, like I said, there's, there's going to be a, 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 an essay question on the first test. And these are things, because they're principles of nervous system organization, that apply to everything pretty much. So it would probably help you for things like the essay question, okay? Um, so the sequence of events is input, integrate, output. So input, you know what that means, that's sensation. So that can be vision, that can be audition, that can be touch. Yeah. The integrate part is where your nervous system takes the information that it's just received and integrates it with other information that your nervous system already knows. Does that make sense? Okay, so memories, other things you've learned, but things, this is all being done, almost always being done completely, it's completely uh, unavailable to consciousness. Okay? So yeah, it's unavailable to consciousness, this kind of thing. And then output, which is behavior of some sort. There's a functional division between sensory and motor systems. Talked about dorsal and ventral root the other day. Though they are right beside each other. Dorsal and ventral root, for example. The inputs and outputs are crossed. In other words, the inputs, when stuff comes in from one part of your body, when it goes through your spinal column, it hits, when it goes through your spinal column and up through your brain, the place that goes into your spinal column is the same part of your spinal column that comes out where you get be uh, behavior. So remember we talked about those dermatomes. There is symmetry and asymmetry. Symmetry in that, that everything on the left half of your brain is there on the right half of your brain. Everything in the left is there on the right, exactly the same. The asymmetry comes about because there are cases for times like, for example, where, you know, I mentioned left Broca's area doing one thing and right, like, left Broca's area is do, doing your actual vocabulary of your native tongue or tongues, uh, not of something you've learned since you were maybe past five. So if you learn a language past about five years old, you're, you're, it's not your Broca's area is doing the processing, it's everything at once. It's a lot more, it's a lot more distributed. Um, and then your right brocus area does things like intent of words. Left Wernicke's does, receives the meaning, right Wernicke's receives, again, intent. So things like you wouldn't understand sarcasm. <laughs> like you'd understand sarcasm. So, <coughs> there is symmetry, but there's also asymmetry. So, so as, as contradictory as it sounds, it isn't contradictory. Your nervous system is all about excitation and inhibition. 
So excitation is what leads to things like behavior. Inhibition, this is very general, and we're going to get a lot more specific about this, but it's turning things off, not doing certain things. When we talked with the moths and the bats, remember, if A2 fires, the one with the bat is really close, then when A2 fires, all the inhibition in the moth nervous system is shut, it stops, so it just behaves crazily. By the way, I just before I came here, I told Paul Dupuis, any of you know Paul, uh, he's a hack in our department. Um, <coughs> basically just he's a sociologist. No, he's not. He does social psychology. Anyway, I told Paul that before we left, because he was talking about how an intro, he was talking about neurons and stuff. I said, yeah, that's good. And uh, I said, you know, I could, you know, he should tell you about mods and bats and how mods can detect where a bat is in three-dimensional space with two neurons. And he went, what? I said, I'll talk to you, I'll talk to you when I get back. Really? And then he just sat there and said, that's amazing. That's like, I he was very excited. So he, now I'm getting Paul excited about mods and bats. Now he's going to start talking about the class. It's just letting you know. I'm spreading the gospel, the good news of mods and bats. So it's excitation inhibition. There are multiple levels of function. You'll find this, the further on we go, you're going to see more of this. But the easiest example that you know a little bit about already is the visual system, because you would have learned this in, 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 in other even in intro tech, you learned about your retina probably in grade 10. Is that true? They still teach anything in high school? It's nothing now, right? You just show up, you Google things, and get an A. Is that how it works now? Um, and also get off my lawn. Old man yells at clouds. So. <laughs> Your retina processes visual information on, on a very simple level, right? Information is then routed through thalamus. We talked about that already. And it, it's routed to different parts of your brain. Most of the, the, the analysis is going on back here in the occipital lobe. This is stuff parietal temporal. Those are different levels of function. Right? Make sense? And that's going to be general about the whole nervous system. Hulens Jackson, who's a neurologist in the 1800s, came up with the idea that nervous systems are parallel and hierarchical. Which means that things all happen at once. That's the parallel. And it has to be. I told you how slow nervous transmission is, and it feels instantaneous. The only way to do that is to have a whole bunch of processing happening at the same time. Right? And it's hierarchical in that there are different levels of function. So we'll talk again more about this later, but your, your, your eyes, for example, have about 130 million receptors per eye. Okay. You're reading the output of each of those at the same time, you being your nervous system. You're reading the state of those all the time, and you're reading them all at once. Because if you were reading them one after the other, it would take you like you'd be lost in thought all the time trying to recognize a triangle. 
by the time you figured out that was a triangle, six months have passed and other things have happened. Maybe you should shave. I don't know. I think after six months of standing looking at a triangle, you look pretty shiny. Right. Hierarchical though that there are different levels. So my retina doesn't recognize triangles. I mean, you don't know anything about how that works yet, but you must know that there's no way. If I just had an eye, it doesn't know what a triangle is. No. So finally, it's Stuff is localized and distributed. And this is, again, again, it's, it sounds contradictory. But for example, linguistic processing, temporal lobe, uh, Broca's Wernicke's area, no doubt. Right? Broca's for production, Wernicke's for reception. Yet, it's not like you don't need the rest of your brain to process language. It doesn't work that way. The world isn't that simple. This works way differently than a computer works. Though in some respects, any part of the processor can be doing any processing of any piece of software. So I guess in some respects it's similar. But the, the computer analogy dies pretty quickly with that point. I mean, it, it's not bad, right? But it's not great. So there are localized things that are happening, but it's also distributed the technical way. Sometimes things are so localized, for example, things in your spinal column, you get a pinch nerve, can't feel something in your right arm or something like that. Um, that so that's localized there, but the distributed part, all kinds of stuff about. There's movement, but then there's movement with a purpose, right? So action, uh, action for vision, so turning your eye towards something that is happening. All right, questions? <coughs> I know I kind of rushed through that last time, so I wanted to make sure I got through it. And there's the diagram of the human visual system that you'll understand. Two months. All right. So, here, here, here. All right, let's talk about cells and genes. Today we'll talk about cells, we'll talk about genes on Wednesday, because I'm sure we'll get the cell stuff done today. Next slide, my notes are on here. I have to look at it this close to see it. <laughs> when I say last time, I mean last series of lectures. We talked a little bit about neurons and glial cells. Um, now we're going to go into some detail. When you took intro psych, which who here is not taking intro psych? It's not bad if you have it, I'm just curious. It's a couple of you. Okay, that's fine. Because if you take it as a biology class, this amazes me, by the way. If you take it as Psych 2606, you must have taken 1106 and 1107. You take it as Biology 2606, ah, don't worry about it. It's the same course, just saying. Got it. Line those up. Also, I think we should change the name. Did I say that already? I think I, did I say that? What did you, what did you think if we changed the name to Introduction to Behavioral Neuroscience? Would that scare people away? Do you think so? But it might attract other people. I'm saying is I like that name better. Um, so let's get into some detail. In intro psych, you learned that there were glial cells and neurons. And I'm sure you're probably 
aware, and almost certainly, at least if you weren't aware, you probably could guess that there's more than one <coughs> of each. Neurons, the basic information processing unit of the nervous system. That's a nice operational definition. Glial cells don't, for our purposes, glial cells don't do any information processing. Okay? It may be the case, in fact, that a single neuron can control behavior and store information. We don't tend to think of it that way, but I mean, think of them all off again. We have very few neurons here controlling behavior. So it may be the case that a single neuron can actually store behavior, or sort of store, excuse me, store information. And it can control behavior. In humans, it typically isn't like that. We typically work on, on big networks of neurons. Right? Much more common. I shouldn't say perhaps more common. At least in a human, it's more common that we have networks of neurons representing... Information and controlling behavior. So it's patterns of activation that represent things. Okay? Questions so far? Good? Alright. Makes sense, I guess. Here's my favorite neuron diagram. Uh, I'm sure we all have our own favorite neuron diagrams. <laughs> But this one is mine uh, because it's simple enough and it's a very generalized neuron. And also you saw when I tried to draw a neuron the other day and it just looks like a kind of a moose with a giant penis coming out of its face. So, the axon. Anyway. This is a very general one. This could be in any animal. We don't know what animal this is in. And frankly, they look the same in all animals. Something like this, a neuron like this does anyway. Cell body or soma, either one's fine. Nucleus, nucleus of course holds genetic material, chromosomes, which we'll talk more about later. Dendrites, and at the end of dendrites, now this doesn't show this kind of detail, you don't really need it for understanding it at this level, at this point rather, on uh, dendritic spines, so a little sort of, uh, well, spines sticking out of the dendrite. This is an axon. And then there are these things sticking out of the axon called teleodendria, which is great for touching the dendrite. It means they just touch the next dendrite. They touch it. They almost touch it. Let's go into the next neuron. Around here we got myelin, around this axon, and there's gaps in the myelin, and those gaps are called nodes of Ranvier. Unless you're American, and they're called nodes of Ranvier. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm not even know if that's true, but I'm just guessing. A new guy in undergrad, his last name was his last name, he was from Rhode Island, in the States, but his last name was this. 
Perrault, right? Called himself Perrault. We all refuse. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Nope. My name's Perrault. It's really easy. Bears. You can spell it like that and call yourself luxury yacht for all I care about when you're thinking of it. But I was an idiot. I was my was a young child. Anyway, Eric Perot has nothing to do this with this. <laughs> I'm sure he's a perfectly good engineer still. So um, he's an engineering prophet. Yeah. It's Western. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so we have these. We have this myelin. We have these the nodes of Ranvier, and. What else? This diagram. This it's not a bad diagram. The direction of the impulse goes down the dendrite through the cell body to the axon and out. That's a generalization. You'll see as we go along that it's not quite that simple. Not quite that simple. Okay. So you're born with almost all of your neurons. <laughs> If you take off like a six-month-old baby, it has more neurons than you. And you think to yourself, well, how can that be? Babies are stupid. Because um, they aren't all hooked up yet. That's <laughs> the problem. They are, the connections aren't made. Neurons change the experience. So one of the, one of the things that happens is when we learn things, we get new synapses for them, new connections for them, right? Almost certainly. We don't really know that necessarily completely for honest, for true, but how the hell else could it work? Except in very specific circumstances. Um, but if neurons don't make connections, they die. So if a neuron, that one neuron doesn't connect to another neuron, make a synapse to another neuron, the strangest pieces of paper are left in. Socrates just odd um, when neurons synapse the neuron that's been synapsed to releases a, a factor called no-go I'm sorry, no-go that's the wrong one uh, it releases a growth factor uh, and NGF neural growth factor <coughs> And what that does is it turns off a program in all neurons that says die. And you think, why would that be? Neurons are very, remember how expensive I told you brains were? Well, if you got ones that aren't doing it, just neurons just sitting there doing nothing, they should die. They're not doing anything. Now, some of them, you might think, what do you say? You said babies have more neurons than we do. Well, well they all die because there's a there's a sense of a critical period, after which point any connection <coughs> for a while they can live on their own, then they, they will die. So the program cell death happens and so many months in, so many years in, etc. So for example, you can never, after the age of maybe six years old, it's almost impossible to learn to speak a language without an accent. Right? It's very hard. In fact, you're born with the ability to make all the phonemes of every, every language in, that humans can speak. But then you eventually can't make them. You have to actually consciously learn how to do it. Because right? the representation, the neurons that represent those phonemes are dead. They got 
So for example, these are names. Here's a, oh, I don't have to even say this. What's the French word for the color red? Yeah, rouge, not rouge. It's not r. It's there's no r in French. There's r, r, and that third one that I can't make. But there's one in the back of your throat, one a little higher up. It took me years to learn how to go r. <laughs> but we can't. In fact, you might not even be able to hear it. I know my wife teaches French. She said the hardest part sometimes teaching like intro French is saying to people, "No, that doesn't." Make it sound like this, but they sound the same to me. <laughs> and they do, right? You just lost the ability to make those, those sounds. Because neurons are dead. That's a, you know, it's, it's a little darker place than saying, try, try again. You just say, you know, your neurons are dead. <laughs> you can grow new ones in the central nervous system. We don't grow a lot of new neurons in the central nervous system. You'll hear people say, you probably hear me say, you can't really get any neurogenesis in the central nervous system. In general, that's true. We don't have a lot of neurogenesis in the central nervous system. There's some, especially in dentate gyrus, where I get the campus. <coughs> but there ain't a lot. <coughs> okay. That happens in peripheral nervous system much more readily. The genetic blueprint can be reopened. What does that mean? It just means that, frankly, there are genes, and sometimes you can have genes express things, even express proteins, right? They make, you know, genes make proteins. Um, even if the neurons already made. Under the right conditions, certain genes will express certain proteins. That's all that means. People get really excited about that. Do you mean, then, that everything can always change? People get really excited about neuroplasticity, which just means things change. People that actually don't know anything... I'm going to go off on a bit of a rant, so I'll stop myself. People that get really excited about neuroplasticity don't understand what neuroplasticity is. It just means things change in your brain. That's not surprising. So when I say the genetic blueprint is reopened, it just means basically something that was a gene that was supposed to express a protein at a certain time typically does it much later or at a different time. That's nothing that exciting. This happens in all your cells. People get really excited about epigenetics, too. People that have never read a biology book. But that's kind of cool. But it's not something we get too excited about. People do get very excited about it. All right. So axons and dendrites uh, sort of increase the cell's surface a whole bunch, as you can imagine. If it, unless, instead of being just a little circular unit, you've got all these things branching off of it, a lot more surface area. It's not, of course, their only function, but they certainly do that. Dendrites are even bigger than they look like in a standard diagram due to what I talked about, the dendritic spines, these little sort of uh, projections that come out of the dendrite. Okay? And... But you only you have many dendrites, you have one axon. Watch one axon. But the axon has a lot of projections coming out of it, right? The teleo dendrites I talked about. The axon itself starts at the axon hillock. Hillock is just a word that means hill. 
It's like an archaic word that means hill. We must march up yon hillock. That kind of thing. It just means a hill. No one says use that word anymore. But. So it's basically where the axon connects with the dendro uh, sorry, with, with the cell body. That's the axon. Hillock. It's important here because it's important to think about this. Like why would you name that part where that connects with that? Because there's a lot of important stuff that happens there, and we'll talk more about that when we get to stuff about the electrical activity of the nervous system next week probably. But there's a reason that it's thought of as a separate place, and that's because some very special stuff happens. The decision for a cell to fire or not pretty much happens at the axon. Okay. Questions? You're good so far, right? Nobody asked any questions. Good. Must be means you're all doing all the reading in advance. Should have asked that. So there, are, there may be, there often are, usually are, many branches of the axon. They're called teleodendria. It just means touching the dendrite. Like little fingers. You saw that in the diagram. There's one axon with all kinds of little branches coming off. At the end of the each teleodendrium, uh -huh, singular, there is terminal button. Those are people pronounce it bouton, and I've never understood why. Don't forget to push the bouton on the elevator. Who talks about that? important later. This connects with the, the next dendro. Okay, so there's axon, again, shortly, <laughs> in a couple of weeks, you'll find that it isn't just like that. That's one of other, many other kinds of synapses. But right now, it's just important to realize, and you know about this, axon dendrite, axon dendrite. And there's a gap between the axon and the dendrite called the synapse. And synapse is just a Greek word for gap. So saying synaptic gap is redundant. No reason like to say it's the gapic gap. There's no reason. You already said gap. You just said it in Greek to be clever. So don't say synaptic gap. That'd be crazy. Is there an ATM machine here? I've got to use my PIN number. Just talk. Short forms are there to save you time, not to add extra words in. There's things that bother me that really shouldn't. CD. I've heard people say, I've got to get some CD discs, DVD discs. More likely now. That's another good one. HIV virus. The V in the HIV stands for virus. I can't believe you've memorized your SIN number. No, your SIN's fine. Your social insurance number. That takes a nap to cap. On Star Trek, they constantly talk about synaptic pathways. You understand? You watch Star Trek? His synaptic pathways are denigrated. It means literally nothing. They say it all the time.
So they don't really touch. <laughs> There's a joke I want to make that no one's going to get, so I'm just going to leave it. Because it references a song from 1976. So, basically, the information, which is just information in the form of a change in electrical charge, that's all that is, travels down the dendrite through the axon to the next dendrite and so on. I mean, I missed the cell body, but that's obviously there too. Okay, so receives information, dendrite travels down that dendrite. Through the cell body, through the axon, to the next. The information crosses the synapse, and you know this is done. This is done, of course, through release of neurotransmitters. Okay, questions? You good? Okay. So, there are different types of neurons. So here we have a bipolar neuron. Uh, you have these in your uh, retina, bipolar cells. And you can see what it looks like. It's short. It's got a short dendrite and a short axon. It actually looks like what you think a neuron looks like. Like it looks probably the closest thing to what a neuron looks like, what you think a neuron looks like. Or maybe the sensory neuron is the same, but it has more connections. Because, I mean, the sensory neuron has a lot more dendrites. When I say sensory, this is for touch. These are bringing information in. So these sensory neurons are for things like touch. Uh, the bipolar neuron is usually responding to something like a cone or a rod in your eyes, for example. So you can make a neuron fire, of course, by one neuron, but another way you can do it is by pressure, right? So, for instance, so if you had a sensory neuron that mapped onto a whole bunch of different parts of your skin, now you can see why you have a lot of different dendrites. So you have many neurons in one place, or very few. You have a whole lot, for example, on your fingertips. A whole lot of sensory neurons, but a lot of them. In your lips. Your crotch. Right? You've got a whole lot here because we need we manipulate tools. We should put we shouldn't put things in our mouth that could hurt us. And well, fun. So <laughs> On the other hand, you got hardly any on your back. So hardly any sensory neurons on your back. You can di distinguish, because there's so, there's so many sensory neurons on your fingertips, you can distinguish some, a two stimuli that are about a millimeter apart on your fingertips, or your tongue, or, or your, not your tongue, or your lips, or uh, no, it's not talking about your crotches. So that's amazing, millimeter apart. On your back, 
You can try this at home with someone who you trust implicitly, who entrusts you implicitly. This has nothing to do with anybody's crotch. Stop thinking like that. But you got to lie down on your stomach, take your shirt off. So again, this is somebody you probably know well. And you need a pair of calipers. You know, like in a math set? You know, like the protractor and the, the compass. If you had a pair of calipers. Or <laughs> this can be done with two pencils or pens, except you have to touch it exactly the same time. On your back, all you do is you touch the person uh, same time. Same between their shoulder blades. Down there. With two or one points. And then ask them if it's two or one. They're only right half the time. In other words, they're at random chance. And then talking 10 centimeters apart. And it's mind-boggling because you won't believe me. I used to do this as a demonstration, but I don't, I don't have calipers. And I also typically have to say, okay, uh, take that off. And then that gets a little weird. I don't, I don't get people to disrobe. That's weirder and wrong and immoral and all that. It's in trouble. Could. Never had. But it's late enough in the year, no one's just wearing a t-shirt at this point, so it doesn't work very well. That's that kind of amazing. What's on your fingertips and your, your lips? You go like a millimeter apart. That's because so many sensory neurons packed into here, packed into here, packed into there. Not packed into here. Think of this from an evolutionary perspective. Would you... It makes sense, you know, manipulating objects, putting things... You never run like this. You think back on the, the savannah of Africa where all humanity comes from. People were out chasing antelopes like this. No, because that would be stupid. So a lot more connections there. Mapped to a lot of parts to say skin. Also a lot of connections to each other. Now we have interneurons. Interneurons, are, most of your nervous system is interneurons. This is where that integration part, the inter, where the integration part's happening. They're taking care of thinking, basically. So this is an association cell. It's called or a stellate cell. Stellate from the Latin stella, meaning star. Stella! Somebody, somebody got that? That's good. It's the worst Brando ever. But the fact that anybody got it pleases the shit out of me. So... This, these are in um, cortex, these association cells. Look at all the dendrites. Integrating information, a lot of stuff coming in. <coughs> Pyramidal cells. There's the axon there, a lot of dendrites. Uh, pyramidal cells important hippocampus. So important in forming new episodic memories. They're called pyramidal cells because someone thinks they're shaped like a pyramid. I don't know who it was, but he's wrong. It's got to be a he. <coughs> Women have a better sense of aesthetic than that. Christmas tree cell, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Right? I always think of it as a Christmas tree cell. All the little glial cells hang around around December and put little tiny mitochondria on it. Link, I don't know. What a weird, I don't know. 
My favorite weirdest cell of all is the Purkinje cell. Look at the dendrite on that guy. And cerebellum. So there's the axon, there's the cell body, and there's some dendrites. And by some, I mean many. You gotta understand that when we're talking about anything more complicated than a bipolar or a sensory neuron, we're talking here about neurons that have perhaps, on average, the average human neuron that is in a sensory neuron or a bipolar cell has 10,000 synapses. That's the average one. That's why you're not gonna ever rewire somebody's brain by hand. It would take a while, even if we could. Now, motor neurons, they synapse onto a muscle. They also look, that probably looks even more like a standard looking neuron like you see in the intro right? So they synapse onto a muscle, uh, onto blood vessels in muscles, to be more precise. <coughs> Questions so far? So now when I ask you a question on a test, like define and demonstrate the significance of blah, 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 one of them is neuron. You tell me what a neuron is, and then you tell me about all these different neurons. If you can draw pictures, draw pictures. If you can't draw pictures, it's a real mistake to draw pictures. If you draw shitty pictures, I, I gotta look at that, I don't know what that's supposed to be. But, you know, these are not hard to draw. I think I can probably draw these-ish. A little bit about synapses we get on to that much more later. Um, it's, there are very recent discoveries as far as actually seeing one. When I say recent, I'm talking in the last you know, 60, 70 years. Everybody knew they were there. Sherrington figured this out early on. And the way Sherrington figured this out was um, through people like Hodgkin and Huxley, these guys, they knew that the speed of nervous transmission within a neuron is about 100 meters per second, which I know seems exceedingly slow, but that's the speed. And Sheridan had these dogs, and he called them spinal dogs, because he severed their spinal column. He's in the 1800s, you can't change them now. Don't go, uh, it's over. Free Sherrington's dogs. Sherrington's been dead for a long time. So have his dogs. Um, so they severed the spinal column, and now what Sherrington was doing was trying to find out like what part of the spinal column controlled what part of the body. So it's important research. He would stimulate one section of the spinal column, and he would get movement into, let's say, a leg. I mean, it wasn't nice to the dogs. I'm not denying. <clears throat> okay. And then he measured how long it took for the leg to move. Let's say. And it's like, oh, this should happen in 100 meters per second. I, I know the length. That took like 10 times longer than it should. 10 meters a second. What? How could that be? 
oh, I bet between the cells there are gaps. That's kind of a cool, you know, he didn't have a microscope powerful enough to see a synapse. Yet he could say, ah, there's got to be gaps. Must be some gaps. It's probably full of gaps, very gappy. He never talked like that at all. Wouldn't have said that. Is there anything worse than watching like a TV show? There's a lot of things worse than Hitler. But you're watching like a TV show or a movie that's supposed to take place a long time ago, and they speak like now, and it drives me crazy. Nobody else? Well, maybe to the end. I was watching that show on Amazon, uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is really good and really funny and really clever, and it's supposed to be 1958, and they talk like today. In 1958, no one said, you've got this, girlfriend. Nobody talked like that. And then I, then I start looking for anachronisms, and it drives my wife crazy. I'm a, I'm a peach to live with. Um, <laughs> this drives me nuts. I'm just saying, I don't, it makes me angry. And I, you don't, you know what you have to do to not make me angry, make TV show people? Which I'm sure they care about. Just do it appropriately. People used to say golly and gosh back then. You know what? I know it sounds silly, but then it reminds you you're watching something from the past. Same. Anyway. I don't know why I did that. Oh, yeah. Sherrington saying gappity gap gap. Okay. So we have chemical messages going across the synapse. Those are neurotransmitters. You're going to find out all the neurotransmitters. Um. You can get feedback, in fact, you do get feedback across the synapse such that the next neuron can send messages back to the originating neuron. You can get like a feedback loop between neurons. So we've got, there's neuron one, there's neuron two, so that they'll synapse onto each other. Uh, let's do three. Three's going to go. Yeah, let's do it that way to four, but it's also going to go. So you have something like that, too. Now, two is going to probably connect to other things, too. So you can get something like that. You get these feedback loops. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever played a little bit with electronics, you know about this kind of stuff. Like, it's something that you, when you're designing a circuit, you might do. All right. So excitation and inhibition happen, and there's a lot of connections. I talked about 10,000 connections, but even to think about way less than that, way fewer than that. Um, when a neuron decides to fire, and it decide, there's a decision that's made, and I'll explain to you in a couple weeks how that decision is made. Let's think of this conceptually for this, at this point. So instead of, let's erase that. So if we have a great, let's, we have a neuron, uh, yeah, there's a cell body, you can put an X on on here too. Make sure you get your one you draw, make it look exactly like this. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
I just wasted like 35 seconds. You're just drawing that stupid thing. Okay, so our neuron here has to make a decision. It's about excitation inhibition, so our neuron has to make a decision to go on fire or not. That decision, as noted, will happen down here at the axon hillock. We'll have to worry about that right now. You probably also realize that the excitation happens and the inhibition happens at the synapse. So we're going to say this is a, these are all positive. So in other words, those are all excitatory synapses. You probably didn't figure this, but probably told, I know you were told this explicitly in intro probably, intro psych, but there are also inhibitory synapses that make the next neuron less likely to fire. Okay. So I'll put some negatives here. Positive there. Okay. We tend to think of one neuron sends information to the next one, and that that makes the next neuron more likely to fire. That isn't always the case. So let's say the excitatory neurotrans, uh, these, this excitatory synapse, what would it be? What would it, give, me a, give me a neurotransmitter. You must have heard of one. Calcium. Calcium's not a neurotransmitter. At least it's open your mouth. Some, nobody else. Go ahead, please. Uh, serotonin. Serotonin. 5-HT. Yeah, that's, that's the short form for serotonin. So it's 5-hydroxytryptophan. Uh, that's why it's called that. But anyway, so these are all serotonin. 5-HT. Now, you've probably never thought about an inhibitory neurotransmitter. But there's an there's a inhibitory neurotransmitter called GABA, gamma aminobutyric acid. So all these negative ones, we're going to say they're all GABA, okay? And I'm not going to label all of them. Okay. But we have serotonin and GABA. GABA is the most common inhibitory neurotransmitter in your nervous system. The most common excitatory one is, in fact, glutamate. Okay? And glutamate, interestingly, by the way, glutamate is the thing that everybody, I'm allergic to MSG. No, you're not. Nobody is. Stop it. It can't be. If you were, you'd be allergic to your own freaking brain. You're not allergic to MSG. Stop saying that. MSG is delicious. I put it on popcorn. No, seriously, you can't be allergic to it. It's like saying, I'm allergic to salt. You can't be. You can eat, you can find things too salty. Well, there's too much MSG on this. But you can't be allergic to MSG. Or you'd be allergic to your own brain. Or sodium, which means you're allergic to your own tears. Which sounds dramatic, right? <laughs> so, what's happening here is a spatial and a temporal window. So let's just imagine that these are all, all getting connected at the same time. So 5-HT, GABA, 5-HT, GABA, GABA, 5-HT, GABA, all at once. Let's just pretend, because it doesn't work like that, but let's pretend. These are all one, two, three, four. So we've got four plus votes here. One negative, four positive, two negative, one, two, three, three negative, positive, and then two positives. 
assuming that all happened at the same time and the world was as simple as I'm making this out to be right now, let's see, 2 and 1 is 3 and 4 is 7 and 4 is 11, 2. Oh, yeah, that neuron's going to fire. Because it's more positive than negative. It's kind of like that. It isn't really quite that simple. But that, if it was all happening at the same time, that neuron will fire. A decision gets made. Again, the neuron isn't consciously making decisions. But there'll be enough of a positive charge that the, that the, that the, action, the, action, the resting potential will collapse into an act, action potential. Not quite that simple. But that would be if they all happen at the same time within a temporal window. However, the world isn't that simple. The charge here at this, along this dendrite, is going to be, it's going to propagate much more quickly than a charge here. Because they're all, this, all these positives are beside each other. So when the vote happens between all the dendritic spines, when that vote happens, it matters how close together they are. That's a spatial window. It's called temporal and spatial summation. It is not, of course, and I'm sure you gathered this, not nearly as simple as just counting up how many positives versus how many negatives. It's not, there's no way it's that simple. But it's a good analogy. Okay? And this is happening all the time. This kind of activity is constantly happening. The neuron, by the way, is constantly sort of trying not to fire. It's trying not to fire. So every time, so you might think, well, what happens then to all this positive? Well, then the charge is set back to being, uh, back to being a resting potential from an action potential. Oh, that, from a potential action potential. That's a horrible choice of words, sorry. <laughs> right. Questions about that? Does that analogy make some sense here? It's kind of like that. We'll get way more into it. Okay. So that's a bit about neurons. Let's talk a bit about glial cells. So, epidermal cell, they secrete uh, CSF. Where are they going to live then mostly? Yeah, ventricles. Exactly. Astrocyte which sounds like the name of a really shitty 80s video game. Um, Astro, look, it's shaped like a star. Cool, right? So we have stellate cells in the, for the neurons. We have astrocytes for the glial cells. Um, they basically bring nutrients to the neurons. You see how important these things got to be? Like, if you can't have something nothing bringing you nutrients, you're going to die if you're a These are just as important. Microglia... Um, they're fighting off infection. Okay, so they're, they're defensive. So if we're going to make axons, we got these are axons here, see? And these cells, the, this is the worst word to say, 
oligodendroglionomyces. It's one of those words I've seen written down a thousand times. I say it twice a year. Now, no, once a year. Now, um, they form myelin around axons in the brain and the spinal column, and Schwann cells form myelin around axons in the peripheral nervous system. Their functions are the same, one's for peripheral, one's for central. Sorry, one's, yeah, central and peripheral. Central on top, peripheral on the bottom there. Okay? Questions? You good? Let's say you get a cut, a pretty deep cut. Um, and you'll notice this if you have a deep cut. This happens no matter how much you cut yourself. You actually get paralysis in that part of your body. It has to be nasty enough, like if it was through a muscle cut. But even if you get a bad cut, you get paralysis and you'll get numbness, right? You have no sense sensation. You might be able to see that my, my thumb is flat, because I sliced part of it off when I was about 25. I was making spaghetti sauce, and I was cutting an onion, and I'm, I'm, I've, I'm a pretty good cook. Um, but back then, I, I didn't think about things like sharpening my knives, and which I do now. All I actually sharpen them. I don't just do the honing. Like I have a sh the sharpening stone, the whole thing. With a really sharp knife, you're not going to hurt yourself. It's when a nice little dull is when you hurt yourself. So I was using a cleaver, because I like using a cleaver. And I was chopping an onion, and it slipped, and it just sliced off part of my finger, my thumb. And I went up to my, I went to, taped it up, like, well, when I say tape, I mean toilet paper. And I <laughs> knocked on the neighbor's door, I said, do you have any band-aids? <laughs> Why? I said, because, <laughs> so that happened. Then, then it happened to this one. <laughs> I was using a mandolin. You know what a mandolin is? Yeah, use the handguard. My wife was on the phone, and I sliced part of my thumb off. And then I, and it, but it didn't hurt, because that thing was sharp. But I knew I'd cut myself, and I didn't want to look. So I put my hand up in the air, because it was bleeding so much, using the force of gravity to keep the blood in my body. And I said, honey, can you get off the phone, please? I'll be right there. No, no, this is an emergency. I really need your help, please. He hangs up the phone, because he goes, what is it? I said, oh, I may have cut part of my hand off. So could you please... First aid kit, and I went. I looked at it. Went, oh, <laughs> so this happened to me in both my thumbs, which are still kind of numb, actually. But at the time, even when it healed, it was pretty bad. So do I have paralysis here, or do I can't individually move the pads of my thumb? But if you've ever had a bad cut on, uh, and I mean, it'd be a really bad cut. You might get some paralysis because you're going to cut. You're going to cut the nervous system, cut the uh, peripheral nervous system cells. So you might get some paralysis here. These would be motor neurons you're cutting. The old axons die. They aren't getting, remember, they're not getting any neural growth factor anymore. Remember I said when they don't get that, they die. Makes sense. So microglia and Schwann cells go into the pathway, and they clear it out. The micro microglia actually go in and literally digest you know, like phagocytosis, right? You know that, how that works? It sells, they surround something, take it in. They do that. Um, 
and they clear a way for a new axon to grow. And it sprouts into the only place it can where the old axon was. Now that doesn't happen in the central nervous system, sadly, because if it did, brain damage wouldn't be a problem. Well, it wouldn't be good, but I mean, it would, be, it would repair itself. And the neuron sprouts until it finds the right path. So it just keeps going, and eventually there's only one place to go. Everything else is all blocked up. Right? It's cool, right? Even now, when like, I'm watching like Top Chef or something, when I see someone use a mandolin, I have to turn away. <laughs> I turn my head away from the screen. And I know they're not going to show someone get cut on TV. <laughs> but I don't want to watch. Like, I literally, we have a mandolin, and for the first, as I said, we still, and I still use it sometimes, but for the first, like, six months after <clears throat> I cut my hand, like, I really nastily cut my thumb, um, I, I, I would look at it, I would see it in the kitchen, and I go, ugh. <laughs> so I had to hide it. Now I use it with the hand guard. <laughs> With the hand card. It's really a shame this doesn't happen in the, in the central nervous system because when you get, let's say you had a stroke, it'd be great if it, that bit just grew back. Right? Or a bump on the head. You know, a bad bump on the head, you get brain damage. Well, it'd be nice if that part just fixed itself. Or even more importantly, probably, is a case like, say, for example, I don't know, you sever your spinal cord in an accident. Wouldn't it be great if people could walk again? Mm -hmm. Right? <laughs> they actually secrete, uh, neurons secrete a chemical uh, messenger, messenger called no-go. <laughs> Clever, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that stops the growth of neurons. So you might think, well, why don't we just block no-go? It's been tried. Been some success. This is, we're talking in rats here. But it's not the only thing that's doing this. Um, some success with stem cells and some, some success with uh, carbon nanotubes. These are really small tubes. Okay? So, it's, so what you do is you isolate where, that, where the axons were. This is how this is going to be hard to do. You use a very simple system. You, doing this in a human, would, the operation would take forever. So what you do is you make these little tiny tubes that are one atom of carbon thick. Okay? And they would go where the axons are supposed to go, and then the ax get the axon to sprout, and there's nothing else stopping it, and they can get a new connection. Until you can actually literally have machines that are only a few atoms big building these nanotubes, this isn't going to happen anytime soon. And it'll happen in your lifetimes. Not mine, <laughs> probably, because mine's what, what do I think? Another 30 years, if I'm doing okay? Just to be considered. Taking care of myself. I'm in my 80s. Yeah. You guys will all be like my age in 30 years, so easily in your life. So there's been some success with that, not a lot. Okay, uh, elements. That's a Honda element. <laughs> That's my first bought our car. It's not that funny. I just like that picture. I like it partially because my kids are so small. He's 17 and a giant of a man. She's 25 and doing a PhD. <laughs> so just, it's neat seeing the, seeing the kids. Whoops. 
So there are elements that are also just basically chemical elements that are also important in the nervous system. I'm just going to list these. I'm not going to go into any great detail. Uh, hydrogen, of course. Carbon. Oxygen. You kind of need oxygen for your brain to run. Nitrogen. Now, nitrogen is important. Uh, nit nitrous oxide and nitric oxide can actually act as neurotransmitters, causing a cell to fire. Okay. Calcium. Talked about calcium. Somebody mentioned calcium before. Not a neurotransmitter, but exceedingly important. Detecting the amount of calcium, what's called the calcium current, is what ends up making a neuron fire. That's when the decisions made. We'll talk about that. Potassium. Wow. Why is it a K? Because it's of Latin. But potassium is important because potassium along with, yeah, you think that's sodium, that's silicon, or sorry, sulfur, sodium, knowing how much of sodium and potassium are in the nervous system, When the neuron figures that out, it basically is keeping, a, it's keeping some one element out and keep letting one element into a neuron, making the next neuron fire. Our chlorine is also important. The way that Say GABA, this negative neurotransmitter, the way it works to make it, the, the, the cell have more of a negative charge is less chlorine in. The way that something like serotonin works is it allows more, more sodium in. The neuron's always pumping sodium out. You probably heard about the sodium potassium pump in intro cell. So it's always pumping sodium out and bringing potassium in. It pumps out three sodiums, pulls in two potassiums. And if, it pump, if it's got more positive on the outside than on the inside, the net, neg the net charge is negative <coughs> across the cell okay. We don't have to worry too much about that. Like I said, nitrogen and nitric oxide, nitrous oxide can act as neurotransmitter on its own, for example. Okay. So there's some parts. It's a good diagram. I took it from the book. Golgi, Golgi body, Golgi apparatus, endoplasmic reticulum, blah, 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 grade 10 biology. Right? Y'all would have learned that in grade 10 biology. What did I say y'all for? Where the hell am I from? <laughs> yes. Where about that? Somewhere in the Carolinas. So, Everybody learns all these things before. The important things here for our purpose is really the nucleus, which contains the genetic material. Mitochondria, which are power plants, right? Making ATP, which is what our bodies run on, what our cells run on. Neurons have a lot of uh, mitochondria. And remember when you were a 
in grade 10 biology, and you were to, you would drew, you drew a picture of a cell, you drew usually one, one mitochondrion, and you were happy. And usually, neurons will have lots of mitochondria because they're using a, they need all these little power plants, basically. Okay. So that's any questions about neurons uh, and glial cells that are. Okay, all right, let's move a little bit into a little section I like to call genes, cells, proteins, and behavior. We have all heard people say, well, that's not genetic, that's environmental. That's not environmental, that's genetic. They don't say it like that, but I'm making fun of both sets of people like that, because that's what I'm doing. Making them stupid. So, this is a quote from Donald Hebb, pretty much he along with Brenda Milner, remember Milner and HM? Well, Hebb was Milner's PhD supervisor. The Hebb's important enough that the psychology building at McGill University is called the Hebb Building. The award for sort of outstanding uh, lifetime achievement in experimental psychology in Canada is called the Donald Hebb Award. Have along with Milner basically invented cognitive neuroscience. Canadians, perhaps, right? Um, trying to determine how much behavior is due to genetics and how much is due to environment is like trying to determine how much area of a field is caused by its length and how much is caused by its width. So what Hebb is saying here is the nature-nurture argument is stupid and there isn't an ar- there shouldn't be an argument. And when there is an argument, you walk away from people like that. You walk away because they are they've never read a book. The, the biology book. Biologists know this, right? Biology students are going, yeah, okay. Sure, of course. The notion that we can have biology without an environment or an environment without biology is so patently stupid that I don't understand why people argue about these things. I literally have no clue why people argue about this. But they do. You know, that's genetic. That's environmental. Well, if you said it's genetic, that means it can't change. And C. So, <laughs> we hear a lot of things that are... Here's a great example. Intelligence is... Intelligence. IQ. Scores on IQ. Let's just go with IQ scores. Okay? So scores on the weights, the Western Adult Intelligence Scale. They're about what's 50% heritable. 0.5. What that means is that it doesn't mean that half of your IQ is inherited genetically, the other half is environmental. That's not what that means. Any point, uh, your height, human height is 0.8 heritable. Does that mean that everything up to your neck is from your parents and then everything up from here is your environment? No. Does it mean that half of your IQ comes from your parents, the other half is your learning? No. That's, again, so simplistic, it should make you want to punch people. (laughs) What it means is that half, and with IQ, half the variance, it's statistical, half the variance in IQ scores can be explained by variance in 
genetics. So it means that the variants you're explaining, they overlap 50%. There's a Venn diagram with my thumb. That's what that was. There's no reason to argue over this nature-nurture crap. There literally isn't any. I don't understand why people argue about this. So, here's some key terms in genetics. Again, biology students can go to sleep for a while. A gene. The gene is the smallest unit of inheritance. That's an operational definition. Uh, it's also the case that there are start and stop uh, codes in a gene. So that, 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 and it also, it's, it, it's, a, it's a thing that makes proteins. Your genotype, your genotype is the genes you carry. Your phenotype is your outward appearance that includes your behavior. And this is you if you're a person or a plant or a, an amoeba. Chromosome is a collection of linked genes. A locus is a place on a gene. Or on a, on a chromosome. An allele is an alternate form of a gene. So while all humans have the same genes, we must because we're all the same species, we all have different versions of those genes in different combinations. That's what makes us look and act and all that other stuff different. Um, most animals are diploid, and most cells in it, in, almost all the cells in your bodies are diploid, meaning you have two copies of each gene, one that you inherited from your father and one you inherited from your mother. So most of the cells in your body are diploid. cells in your body are haploid, your sex cells, okay? Women are born with all their eggs, which is efficient. Men are just making sperm. That's all we do. And yard work. It's pretty much all men are useful for. Those are haploid cells. They've only got... So instead of 23 pairs of chromosomes, or a copy of each gene from mom and each gene from dad, you have half. So you have 23 chromosomes full stop, and that means that each one has, either each gene is either from your mother or from your father, you have copies of both. Okay? There are some animals that are haploid. Uh, male bees are haploid. Male ants are haploid. Now, wasps are haploid. The world is very strange in the world of the social insects. I don't trust social insects. They're organized, and many of them can stay. 
candy is a sex cell. And mommy and daddy are kind of drunk. Their gametes get together, form a zygote. That's how you explain sex to your kids. <laughs> Sometimes mom and dad get hammered, and you never know what happens next. Don't do it that way. Just tell them the truth, please. When a kid asks you that, they're so young, even if you explain it, they're going to go, really? Okay. What's on TV? Like it's, there's, there's, they're, they're way less uncomfortable than you are. There's recessive and dominant alleles. So recessive allele um, means you need two copies of that same allele to express the trait. The simplest example here is the one many of us have, guys have heard before, and that's blue eyes and brown eyes. Right? The genetics of human eye color aren't quite this simple, but they're close enough to this simple that we can use it as an example. So if you've got, so that's blue, and the big B is brown. The way this notation tends to work, well, not tends to work, works is that the capital is the dominant allele, and the, the, the lowercase, or the small letter, is the recessive, okay? So if you've got this genotype, this one, father, mother, okay? Or this one, those leave brown eyes. And if you have this one, you have blue eyes. Okay? So you get one from your father, one from your mother. So it shows you that two parents with brown eyes can have a blue-eyed kid. Can two parents with blue eyes have a brown-eyed kid? Biological kid. No. Because they, the little kid definitionally would get two little bees. Now, I'm not talking about you know putting contacts in. You can always do that to change your eye color. And there are disorders that can make your eyes blue even though they should be phenotypically brown. But if you are phenotypically normal um, and you have you have two blue-eyed parents, you have brown eyes. You don't, look, don't worry about it. <laughs> Seriously, they're your parents. And I say that now because about every five years, it used to be someone come up and go, "So I've got my parents have blue eyes and I have brown eyes." Uh huh. <laughs> this is uncomfortable. <laughs> walk away because there's nothing I can say because what is it? It's either you're adopted, which you don't know that in your 20 is a little strange, maybe. Usually you know that by then. Or <laughs> don't tell your dad. You know, <laughs> or maybe everybody knows, everybody's been quiet about it. It's cool. So just they're your parents. It's all cool. Actually, that's what I said to him. It's like, really... They're your parents. Just leave it alone, man. It's okay. You don't know. 
don't bring it up. It could really open reopen some wounds, man. And on that almost soap opera-like note, we will end today, and we'll continue talking about this stuff uh, on Wednesday. Thanks, everyone. I'll just sit here in my living room and see what's on the tube while I'm hanging out with you. available of course on itunes or whatever podcatcher you're using just search for uh, dr dave broadbeck's uh, psychology lectures in algoma university which is the most ungainly title ever uh these are released under a uh, uh, creative commons copyright share like 3.0 canada uh you can't use these for commercial purposes um you feel free to share them uh and feel free to mash them up any way you want but if you do that that means i get to do the same thing with your stuff sort of like the gnu license um I hope you learned something, but if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music, so if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me and I'll find, uh, I'll find out. Um, Often I put links uh, actually in the uh, if you want to call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time.